Hey, glad you can make it. And welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking. Now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Marable, CEO of Employee Cycle. And you know Employee Cycle, we're the HR dashboard company that's helping all of you HR and people leaders get rid of the tedious, time-consuming, and manual process you call HR reporting. That's right. We've heard you all asking for a way to pull all your data from your different HR systems into one place without using those messy spreadsheets. And we have answered you with Employee Cycle, an HR dashboard that has pre-built integrations to all the most popular systems out there, whether it's an HRIS, ATS, engagement platform, performance management, rewards and recognition, OKR management, you name it. You can plug in all your systems like Bamboo, Namely, Zenefit, ADP, Paylocity, Greenhouse, you name it, all into one place so that you can view, share, track, and analyze all that data from one place. Please, 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 please check out EmployeeCycle.com. We would love to talk to you about how we can automate your HR reporting and analytics process. But that's enough about me and our company, because today we have a great guest. So please help me welcome to the show, Christy Lindor, founder and CEO at Tessie Consulting. And today we're going to discuss what do DEI consultants do? Christy, welcome to the podcast. Woo! Go, Christy! Thanks for having me, Bruce. Thanks for being here. So, Christy, before we get into the topic, we have to ask you the very important question that we always ask at the beginning of every show, which is, how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR? I ended up there, I'd say, most likely by accident. And I spent about 20 years as a management consultant working in all types of areas, whether it's IT, strategy, mergers and acquisitions. And a project that I was on, uh, an individual that was leading our HR work stream of that particular transformation, she went out on maternity leave early. And that left the gap on our project. And uh, I had one of the, the leaders ask me, hey, would you like to be able to fill in and help us with this work? Uh, and that was an org uh, design effort for uh, an, a software implementation. And I got a chance to, to lead that work and I've been hooked since. So I've been doing HR consulting work, I'd say for the, the latter uh, 13 or so years of my, my 20 year career. Got it. And so, Christy, today we're talking about what is an what does a DEI consultant do? There's so many questions around DEI. There's so many feelings about it. It's been super politicized in the media lately due to all the things that's happening across the country. But in your own words and from your perspective, when somebody says, hey, Christy, what do you do? Assuming that at some point we'll all be back in real life networking places where people can ask you that. Somebody asks, Christy, what do you do as a DEI consultant? What do you tell them? I pretty much tell them that as a DEI consultant, my main goal is to really partner with senior leaders to help them really drive diverse, inclusive, and equitable cultures, work environments in a way that it can be impactful, authentic, and sustainable. And what I see that a DEI consultant does is that they essentially help senior leaders 
really make the most of their workforces. When we think about it, uh, diverse organizations, many of us work with work with a lot of different uh, types of people within the workplace. However, we never really take the time as much as we should to unpack and amplify those differences and bring those differences in a way that we can leverage uh, the people around us those unique experiences that they bring and and allow them to be able to perform and create an environment that allows them to thrive. And so that's really the goal of a DEI consultant, really helping leaders be able to match their strategy to the potential of their workforce. When you hear a lot of people talk about DEI, somebody might say they're a diversity consultant. And then they say, well, they're doing it all wrong because they're not focusing on inclusivity or the inclusion part. And then somebody says they're DNI consultant and then somebody comes back to them. Well they're doing it all wrong because they're not talking about the equity part. And it seems to be some tension around who can do this job, who can't do this job, who should be doing this job. And is that based off of who you are and your makeup as a person based off of your specific gender and or sexual orientation? and or ethnicity. And so how do you feel about that in regards to who should be and or could be doing this job? I think what's interesting about being a DEI consultant is that you wear many different lenses, you have different types of skills. So I see it just like many of the HR functions, it is multi you know, disciplinary. And I say that meaning that as a DEI consultant, you one have to have the lens of understanding how businesses work, right? You got to know how uh, strategies are put put in place. You got to understand how our organizations function and understanding that gives you an opportunity to know how to weave in, whether it's, it's, it's diversity, whether it's equitable processes or being able to weave in inclusion. So having a set of how business works, having even a component of lived experiences in certain, to certain degree to be able to understand the nuances of the strategies that are put in place. But the other part that people seem to forget with DEI is that you've got to have a strong change management background. Um, because we're, what we're talking about here is, helping people change behavior, helping them really understand the behaviors that they may have that may be steeped in systemic inequities, steeped in systemic, whether it's racism, sexism, transphobia, etc. And helping them not only understand what those behaviors are, but also giving them a compelling reason as to why there needs to be a change and how they are part of that change. And I think that in individual um, that is a DEI consultant, they understand those nuances from all angles. While yes, they may have certain lived experiences, I think it's more broader than just that. And I think what's interesting of the conversation we're seeing out in the marketplace is because this is an emerging space. As with any new emerging area, um, and I hate to say it's emerging, being that DEI has been around for 20, 30 plus 40 years. However, in the way that, you know, in the way that the market is looking at it now, it's definitely an an emerging area that is taking more uh, information, taking definitely more space in in CEO and and leaders' minds. Um, And so 
with things that are emerging, there's going to be all types of different schools of thoughts and perspectives. But at the end of the day, I think the DEI consultant that understands change management, they understand and have lived experiences, they know strategy, and they know and understand the systemic inequities, and they understand the the concepts of inclusion. I think when those uh, DEI consultants are the ones that will continue to rise, because guess what? DEI, just like any other uh, function, you have to be able to show outcomes. You have to be able to drive value. And having a lot of conversations and, and talk is one thing, but being able to drive to outcomes is what's going to differentiate, uh, you know, kind of the, the okay DEI consultants to the great ones. And I think it's just with time, we'll see kind of, you know, the, the noise, the noise kind of shift, sort of, sort of speak. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say, Bruce, that you have to be one thing or another. I think you more so have to have skills and a set of different experiences and understand who you are, understand how you show up in the world and being able to bring that to the work that you do. So I totally get that you're saying that there are no types of people where you would say you should be, but are there very specific types of people that you believe DEI consultants should not be? So for instance, should white men be doing DEI consulting? I don't see that white men shouldn't be doing DEI. I mean, because DEI is for everyone. I think that, I think the difference is though, is if you are on a team and, and you have a, or you have a, a DEI firm or a, a business, uh, or a, let's say you have a DEI department in your organization, it's about curating individuals with multiple lived experiences. So yes, if you have a white male, that's a DEI consultant, well, what about an Asian female that may, you know, identify as transgender or if you have someone that's Muslim or you have someone that's black. It's, so it's not just about the identity. It's really about what are the lived experiences that are here and what, who's not at the table, who's not here, and how do we bring their voice in to ensure that the work and the, the, the perspectives and that nuance I talk about, nuance to me, I, I look at that as intersectionality. How do we make sure that's represented in the strategy, in the work that's done? I think if you have one without the other, it could be, it could be incomplete. And I think in, you know, DEI, again, DEI consultants, they know they know who they are, they know what they have and what they don't have, and they seek to bring in those perspectives into the work. I think it's I think it's it's unfair to say that because a person identifies as one thing versus another, uh, that they won't have lived ex- they won't have certain lived experiences that are not important to a conversation across a across a diverse workforce. However, it's knowing the knowing what, what you what you're you know what you bring and knowing what you need at the table and being able to weave that in is is really the the important element. I appreciate you bringing your perspective to that and providing some context and clarity around that because there seems to be so much confusion and so much arguing, if you will, about this back and forth online panels, Zoom calls. I think what you did really crystallizes how it's not about who's doing the work, but it's about how you're actually doing the work. So I really appreciate that. So in regards to our topic today about what does a DEI consultant do, I would actually like to go through the journey of what it looks like for you to actually work with a client. And so to start from the inflection point where the company thinks that they have a problem, let me ask you this. Are you typically talking to companies that are bringing you in 
and saying, hey, we've identified that we have a problem and we know what the problem is, but we need somebody with your expertise to come in and help us? Or is it much more you're having a conversation with someone, giving them points and advice around where they could potentially have blind spots, where they could potentially have issues that they don't even know they have, and then they bring you in to do an assessment? What does that typically look like? When clients typically call us, they have, and I'd say this, you know, within the last 15 or so months or so, the calls that I'm getting now versus before, you know, before summer 2020 are very different calls. Uh, So when I think about the calls that I get now, it's, hey, we now realize we need to do that. We need to be in this space. We need to do this work. We need to be more intentional in um, how we create an inclusive environment. But we don't know what we don't know. We don't even know what that looks like. We've tried. We've done starts and stops. We've made some fumbles. And we realize we are way in over our heads. And we need to bring in some individuals that's that's done this type of work before. That's that's typically the calls that we're, we're, we're you know, fielding. And when we get those types of calls, you know, our goal is to first understand uh, and help level set with our clients to let them know this is not a one and done deal. You're not going to just, you know, hire us. We're going to come in. We're going to run a survey and then maybe do a training and then boom, you are an inclusive environment. This is a long term commitment. Uh, this is a long-term commitment that cannot just be handed off to, uh, let's say, HR or handed off to just someone. This has to be prioritized at the highest levels of the organization. And so what we find ourselves doing, Bruce, is spending a lot of time educating the individuals that come to us um, and, and letting them know, you know, just so that they're on the same page that you're going to have to be part of this journey, Mr. or Mrs. Leader. Um, it's not that, okay, we're going to, you know, hire someone and then going to kind of hand it off to the consultants and let them figure it out or allow the, you know, the HR team to have the burden of this. This is something that leader ha- leaders have to be front and center with. And so once we've gotten to that level of a, of a mutual understanding that this is long-term, this is going to be, you're, you're going to have to be involved and you're going to have to roll up your sleeves. And oh, by the way, when we leave, the momentum doesn't leave with us. You're going to have to put in a team in place to ensure that this momentum continues on in a sustainable way. Once we have these types of conversations with our, um, per, you know, prospective clients, they have a decision to make. And, you know, we tell them if you decide that this is not the right time that, you know what, maybe, you know, this is that you're going to have to do some thinking and figure out if this is what you want to do, that's fine. But if you're ready to go, this is what that looks like. Um, and, and usually doing that, we find that that is really um, has been successful for us in making sure that we have clients that are coming to us and not looking for a Band-Aid solution. They're not looking for a check the box um, to say, yep, we've hired the DEI consultant. You know, everything is good. Um, those, and, and we found that we've been really cl- proud of our the clients that we've taken on and seeing them do the hard work, which can be really uncomfortable uh, for them. But as they learn and grow, it's been really a pleasure. And that, again, that can take on a series of different things uh, depending on the organization. But I think just level setting with them up front. Um, and we've had people walk away. We've had, you know, client, you know, prospective clients that said, well, you know what, maybe we need to do a little bit more internal, uh, you know, kind of, 
uh, you know, talking and, and consensus building and, and, and come back to you. And, and we're fine with that as well. So I think because we take such a hard stance on the types of clients we take in, um, for us, that's, that's important to ensure that, you know, we're driving to some of the outcomes I mentioned earlier that a DEI consultant seeks to, to create. That's pretty fascinating. So once you go in with the company or the prospective client, you let them know all the different services and offerings that you have. You have the hard conversation with them about what this will take, making sure that they understand that the types of companies you're working for are looking for DEI to be a movement, not a moment. From there, once the engagement starts, what happens next? What I'm trying to do for listeners out there who are thinking about hiring a DEI consultant or want to prepare themselves to do the hard work is to understand what should they be anticipating as the next step so that they can be prepared for that? It really depends on the organization, the size, what their goals are, how long they've engaged. You know, so I think it really depends that we typically do start with either some sort of assessment and that can comprise of a cultural assessment where we start to talk to employees and figure out what's going on. Um, that may be doing some benchmarking. Let's see where, how they compare against other organizations of their same similar size and, 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 and revenue and, and, and that sort. It can also be, uh, that we start to look at certain processes internally to figure out, well, where is there some holes, let's say in the recruiting process or their procurement process or marketing, et cetera. So, I think it really depends on what does success look like. And that's typically how we start our conversation. So if you're really serious about this, what does success look like over the next year or so? And how do we back into that in a way that, you know, this this first phase of the work um, meets that? And sometimes that's assessment. Sometimes it starts with looking at a strategy. Some organizations, they created a strategy. So we validate that. Um, so again, it really, it really depends. Our goal again is to set them up to, for long-term success. I think that's the biggest thing. And, and we, we, we have no problem walking away from a prospect if we do not feel that they're meeting their end of the bargain. And, and again, We've had to we've had to take that stance because we've had individuals come to us um, looking to hire check the box. They've hired a DEI consultant or, you know, they've hired a black DEI consultant, et cetera. Um, and we've we've said, no, we're you know, we're not in this business to be performative. I'm, I think kind of to your point earlier. Because there's a lot of noise in the system. There's a lot of different um, individuals with a lot of different perspectives on what this is and is not, which I think, again, we'll see that subside as the industry kind of continues to peak and mature. But for us, we're in it to make sure that we can be able to to show results for our clients. And, and, and we find that being selective, just as you, just as a, you know, a client should be selective of who they pick, we're selective on who we, we, we bring in as well to make sure that they're, they're willing to do the work. You've been mentioning the word success a lot throughout this interview. And it brought me back to when we're working with customers using our dashboard, specifically around DEI metrics, and some of the companies, if not most of the companies that we work with, would not have very specific quantitative goals around areas like DEI. And so I'm curious when it comes to success, because we get these questions. It's like, well, where are some of your other customers in regards to DEI or diversity in a certain department or compensation. A lot of companies may not necessarily know what success looks like. 
or what they even want success to be. So I'm curious when it comes to defining success and you helping your clients get to this successful marker or milestone, who's defining success? And assuming that DEI is something that you always want to continue to push forward, it seems like it always be a moving target. So how how do you, this is the two-part question, how do you define success, but then how do you make it so that once you hit a certain number, and maybe you maybe that's a problem that too many people are just trying to define it with a number, but how do you make it so that once you get to a certain number or to a certain percentage of diversity, that you don't just stop there, but that you keep going to continue to do the work indefinitely? So I see, I'll start with, I'll start to answer that question by the common uh, issue that we typically see or, or, or common misconception of success. The common misconception that we see in the work we do is that people believe seeing a visible difference in their organization then and therein implies that they have been successful. So for example, if I haven't, if, if an organization comes to me, 200 people of the 200, less than you know, let's say about maybe 10% of the organization is comprised of people of color. Um, of that 10%, only like 2% are even in, in some sort of management level position. So that organization may say, you know what, for us, success is uh, for us to increase um, that number from 10% of our organization to be people of color to actually be 25% within the next year or so. And when I hear a very prescriptive type of, 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 of stat like that, I go back to that pause, the nuance and say, well, let, let's, let's go back and understand and unpack that number. So if you say that you want to increase it, you know, by within upwards of the next 10 to 15% um, over the next year or so, and you know that you've got the available talent pool that you will be able to tap into. But let's unpack that. Of that, how many, how many, how many of those individuals um, within your organization now are being put and being primed uh, to go into leadership roles? How many of their their careers are being sponsored? Um, of that, are we think are we thinking about attrition? Are you putting these individuals into roles that potentially over the next five years or so are going to be displaced due to automation? So sometimes people may have these inflated percentages of, oh yeah, you know, we're proudly 10% and we want to increase over 10, but it's like, well, if you unpack that, are those people, you know, 10% or not, are the existing people, are they thrived? Are they thriving? Are they in positions um, that's going to be sustainable in the long term? Are they going to be, if we, if we look at your organization five years from now, how many of that 10% are actually in management and leadership roles? Or are they being put into roles to inflate your numbers in, 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 in a department or in, in opportunities? You know that robots are going to take over. So I kind of always want to take a moment and unpack why an organization has a very specific number, um, particularly organizations that may be looking to go public or looking to be, you know, be able to show investor things. So again, I go back to, is this performative or is it, are we really truly trying to make change here? Um, so I ask really hard questions like that, because again, my goal is to ensure leaders that want to create equitable, diverse organizations, you can do so, but it has to be done in a way you bring people along and not performative. And I, I find that sometimes, um, you know, individuals may not realize, you know, and, and, and I've had conversations with leaders, they don't realize that their thinking is short term. 
you know, for them, it's like, we just want to have a certain visible uh, representation. So, you know, we don't feel bad that we, we, you look at our organization and you look up and it's predominantly homogeneous. And I always have to say, okay, well, let's unpack that and let's figure out like, okay, how do you make sure you help grow and help create more diverse let's say representation or broader representation, but you do so in a way that people feel rewarded, they feel celebrated, they feel heard. The last thing you want to do is, you know, artificially inflate your numbers. And then there's, you know, people are there and they're, they're facing all types of biases and microaggressions and they just don't want to be there. Cause guess what? In a year or two from now, all that work you did would be, you know, for no reason because people would leave. So I think it's, ensuring that the bone, I call it the bones of a culture, making sure that the bones, the foundation is there to create that inclusive environment that people are being called out, you know, in, in a way, and we've got different techniques, different ways we share that, but people are being called out and people are being held accountable to creating equitable, inclusive spaces that, oh, by the way, bring those underrepresented individuals along the journey. Um, so it's not about the zero sum game, as we see time and time again, organizations that uh, do this well, they outperform their competitors. And so if you're doing this well, and you're doing this with the right intention, um, you're going to beat the market time and time again, which makes you're going to grow, right? And I think there's this, there's this underlying, okay, let's do what we need to do. Let's check the box. Let's show the numbers, even though if you unpack them and you, 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 unravel them, there's a little bit more behind them. Um, so that's kind of my goal. I look at things and, and our team and I, we look at it from a strategic lens. It's not just, okay, let's look at what the first couple years of success is, but how do, how does that, how, how does that is representative for the individuals in the organization? I think for me, that's important. It's important, you know, as a, as a woman of color that I leave organizations better than I found them. Um, and that's, that's my goal. And I use, you know, my, my management consulting experience to be able to, to, to unpack that in a way and in, in, in language that leaders can understand. Chris, I have one more question for you. Speaking of hard questions, how should an HR leader or a people ops leader assess whether or not they're equipped to be able to do this work internally without hiring a DEI consultant? Or is that not the question? And the question should be not, can I do it myself? But what type of DEI consultant should I get to help me? Does that make sense? So, you know, I think one thing that I've, I've found with HR leaders, and it's to no fault of their own. Many HR leaders, you know, when you think about the how how HR in general, when we think about just the the, the discipline, um, and we think about how diversity played a role in that discipline, especially in let's say the the earlier days, let's say before before twenty twenty, many many kind of HR disciplines looked at diversity as a compliance, right? So we looked they looked at it from kind of that EEOC lens. And looked at it from a, you know, you, you got to do the EEOC reporting and, and do compliance. And it was really not in the space that we are looking at it today. And so what I find is that many HR leaders, while they may have 
understanding. They may have kind of the principles, some of the things that we talk about and the way that a DEI consultant looks at the work and looks at uh, this, this, pro- this problem is actually much bigger than HR. So HR is one of many functions that a, DE- a, a DEI consultant looks at. As I've mentioned, um, we find that sometimes the, the, the concern is, um, Leaders may, may, may sometimes think, oh, okay, it's diversity, it's people. That means it's, it's an HR's problem. And it's not HR's problem. It's not just HR. HR is a partner. Um, and we find that HR leaders that understand their role when it comes to DEI are able to help not only partner um, with DEI, but also partner with their senior leaders to say, hey, we can bring certain elements, but this is this is fundamentally bigger than just a HR function. Um, true DEI is at the strategy level. It's it's weaved into your procurement process. It's weaved into your IT process. It's weaved in your marketing. It's weaved into every single thing that an organization does. And so I think HR leaders that understand that and they understand how to partner with with uh, DEI, um, they they tend to be uh, very successful in doing so. Um, but I think I, I think again. HR in the past, DEI was considered more compliance and it's definitely evolved and it's, it's much more than that. It's, it's actually strategic and not compliance and, and leaders that are unaware of that should definitely look to, you know, become more educated. There's a lot of resources online uh, for HR leaders to get up to speed. But just like many of the other, uh, there's many other topics. Um, I think HR leaders should definitely uh, focus on getting up to speed to make sure that they are looking at this from the right lens. I think that's really, really important. Christy, I can talk to you about this all day. It's such a fascinating topic and you're so good at talking about it. But we do have to end this interview. So, Christy, thank you so much for being on our podcast, for being such a great guest, and for bringing so much clarity, transparency, and just overall expertise around the DEI consulting space. So, thanks so much. Thank you, Bruce, for having me. Really appreciate it. Of course. So, where can people find you and Tessie Consulting online? Yeah. And again, thank you so much for, for having me on your show. Uh, really excited about the work you do as well. We need more analytic analytical thinking in the world of HR and in the world of DEI. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. So Christy Lindor, L-I-N-D-O-R, or you can check us out at uh, tessieconsulting.com and that's T-E-S-S-I consulting.com. Awesome. And we'll be sure to include all that contact info in the show notes. So for everyone out there listening, if you enjoyed this episode as much as Christy and I did making it, then please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, if this is your very first time listening to any of our podcast interviews, and now you're hungry for more awesome guests to tell you about how to be the best HR people leader possible, then please subscribe to the Employee Cycle Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other major podcast platforms. And last but not least, all of you super awesome HR and people leaders out there, please continue to hire, train, and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Later, kids.